Film School Podcast. Uh, I am recording this one on a, a beautiful Monday morning, uh, or at least it's beautiful where I'm in. Uh, as some of you know, I am off for the week enjoying sunny Florida. I uh, got a chance to enjoy the All-Star Game last night, and I figured we'd do a little something special for for this week. We got no basketball games for a few days, so I wanted to try to really blow it out with like a guest that was on par with, you know, the gravitas that comes with All-Star Weekend. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I know a Knicks fan that not only is uh, quite an accomplished musician in his own right, but he's actually had a banging song associated with the NBA playoffs. And I'm sure a lot of you already know who I'm talking about. Uh, That is, of course, a platinum recording artist out of sight. Rich, how you doing, man? Wow, dude, that was impressive. Really, I mean, wow. you're you're a platinum recording artist. That's listen. That's I am in all I of am. for Somehow. all of eternity. You're yeah. always going to be that. Yes, yes. Also, you know, New York, born and raised, um, big time Knicks fan. So I'm a big fan of the pod, and uh, I've been I've been waiting my time to get on here to talk <laughs> Nick. Yeah, Not because we have. We have an exclusive, exclusive waiting list here. Yeah, exactly. We're 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 in for. We got some hot breaking Knicks news. Yeah, we'll so that, you, it's funny. It's you, a big you, day here at Knicks Knicks land. I feel it. So this, yeah. of course, leave it to me to have. So I, you know, I'm off this week. Leave it to me to have my vacation happen on a day where it seems like there's quite a bit of uh, upheaval in terms of the the breaking news cycle, or at least the breaking rumor cycle. And I want to get to that in a minute, but yeah. first I want to talk about you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we'll get to that. We were, sure, go ahead. We were talking before we started recording. You found out I was a Staten Island boy. I found out you were a Yonkers guy. Um, That's right. And like I, so I was doing a little bit of research on you, and I, I so it's fascinating to me like how people kind of um, – get their get in their place career wise in this day and age. And yeah. I feel like you were maybe one of the first artists to really hit it big in large part to social media. And I was like kinda trying to follow your backstory and it seems like there was like a YouTube thing that you started blowing up with and then something else here and yeah. something else there. How was that for you, like did, utilizing this tool that I guess at the time was still kinda new? No, absolutely. It's um, it, it, we kind of I kind of went through a bunch of different phases because it was like being introduced. I think even like when I first started like putting music out <clears throat> as out of sight, it was still like burn your music onto a CD, go perform at open mics and hand it out, and then like within just a bit of time, it was like MySpace, and then there was certain artists who like really capitalized on that, and I was starting to make some traction over there like even back then and then uh you know it turned into youtube and for me and then it was really music blogs which were were big 
there was a bunch of hip hop blogs, two dope boys, not right. Um, were like the biggest ones. And then for us, we were just, for me at least, was putting music out and it was always like, you had to put your music out for free, you know? Yeah, sure. So mixtapes, putting songs out on the blogs. The smoking section was another blog. And then things would just kind of happen. So like with the YouTube thing at the time, I was a very popular YouTuber. I wanted to use my music. I was not so unfamiliar with it, but it worked. Picked up some fans there, hip-hop blogs there, picked up some music somehow, ended up getting a record deal, like built, generating a buzz using those kind of tools that you had mentioned, which is, this was the, you know, how it all kind of naturally flowed. What, was it like, it felt like you woke up one morning and you were like, you know, playing in, you know, some, some small club in New York and then it, it was like... Oh wow! I landed a Pepsi commercial. Like, did it? Did it seem like it? That's kinda... pretty much how it was. <laughs> That's wild. I mean, I had been I had been on Warner Brothers for just over a year, and uh, I'd been making music with the same guys I was making music before I signed a record deal. <clears throat> and I made that song tonight is the night in the spring of '11, and then that whole summer, I sat around. I was living in Larchmont, New York, and the whole summer, all I did was play basketball every day. I'd get to the corner around 4 o'clock, play it around 8, 8.30, and that's it. I think that was, uh, I can't remember which next season that was. It was after 11, so we could go back to that. But It was, but, it was yeah. one of the early mellow years. It was, it was the, good, year. the good mellow times. Losing. Yeah, that was, I think 11 was 8 seed losing to the Celtics, or maybe the not even that one yet. I, re- I well the I rem- first I remember when tonight and I blew up was coinciding with oh no because I was on tour when sanity happened for tonight and night and we were watching that on tour on my homie's laptop like <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever that was around February of twelve yes it was that was February two thousand twelve exactly um, um but anyway so yeah so my manager called me one day. And was just like, dude, I think we got your song in a Pepsi commercial. And I was just like, all right. And then they were like, oh, yeah, and, um, you're going to go on tour gym class here. And all these things just kind of happened. And then that fall, just I went from like playing basketball every day at lunch to like performing on the X Factor and my song being on the radio and then spending the next, you know, two, three years living in hotels and airplanes. <laughs> so it was pretty wild. Um, and if only you could have used that um, power to make uh, something better of the team that you grew up rooting for. But uh, oh well. well, we'll we'll get to them in a sec. Before before we talked yeah. about the Knicks, though, I have to ask you. So you got landed the song for well, not only the 2016 NBA playoffs, um, but yeah. I guess it actually started with like the series of Saturday night games leading up to the uh, yeah. the playoffs, right? Um, yeah. Also, I, by the way, I'm just like a huge fan of the music because people I've like, there are people who like have like deep connections to music and like that's all good. I want music that I could either work out to or that I could dance to. That's it. Yeah. And like your music is like the quintessential. I put it on. It's like I either want to go to the gym, I want to go for a run, or I want to go to the club. Um, nice. And and the boogie, which was the song of the the 2016 playoffs. 
um, yeah. took us up to the Cavs winning the NBA Finals and LeBron bringing a championship to his hometown. So I will ask you, yeah. do you feel some responsibility for getting LeBron and the city of Cleveland their world championship? <laughs> yeah, totally. LeBron at least tells me uh, he owes us. Uh, he's got to tell Kyrie to sign with the Knicks. That's the one favor he can do with us. I know they're buddying up now. No, I don't feel uh, – I just was so honored to be a part of it, man. You know, it was cool. Like – we had that that song, the boogie, kind of took on a life of its own, and ESPN called me. And at that point, I was completely independent, doing it myself. They called me up, and they're like, "Dude, we want to use this song for ABC primetime Saturday night on ABC." And I was like, "Amazing!" I was like, "I'm obsessed with basketball. I watch games every night. I play every day. Like, it's kind of like <laughs> if you didn't know anybody, you think I'm getting paid to do basketball-related things instead of music-related things." So. um it was awesome. And so we got to film some stuff and be a part of it. And so the court I was playing at every night at the time in Glasshell Park, Los Angeles, I was just a regular guy that just knew me as my nickname there was Brooklyn because I knew I was from New York. So Brooklyn, Brooklyn, <laughs> what's up? Yeah, this, that, and the other. And so it started airing. And then the time the Lakers played on a Saturday night, I come back on Monday and this dudes are just looking at me like, Really? Really? <laughs> really? Really? Oh, okay. So you didn't want to like say that. anything. <laughs> My spot was blown, and uh, it was the best thing ever. Um, and just, it was really cool. And it went, I didn't, it wasn't through the, the Roots had the final song, so we got pretty much all the way through the conference, uh, oh, okay. conference final. It was, an, it was amazing, man. It was just like, top, top, one of the top moments for sure. Well, and listen, uh, the other thing we were just talking about is your, you just celebrated your, your 36th birthday. I'm going to be there in a few months. Yep. Do you, yep. like, you're you're still very young. Do you have to pinch yourself sometimes that, like, you've had this much career success already and it's like you still have a whole another I don't know, 30, 40, whatever years of recording music in front of you if you want? Oh, thank you. Wow. Um, listen, Tony Bennett's still pumping out music, you know. <laughs> No, totally, totally. I I feel young. I do feel young. I think basketball has a lot to do with that. Um, yeah, man, I feel really, really blessed just to um, be able to do this. And, you know, after tonight's night, died down, and I came back home, and I was, got, was you know, kind of left my record label, which was Warner Brothers. It was definitely like, what the hell am I going to do? You know what I mean? It was, it was kind of like having to go out there and face the world yourself because you're on this label and you just is like the machine, you know, and just, um, the last few years is having music played all, you know, in all these different places and, you know, NBA and all these movies and whatever, just, we just did it ourselves. And I feel really proud of that. And, um, yeah, I just, I just love it. I love making music and super proud of the album I put out in October and, uh, it's doing really well. So, no complaints here, bro. That's for sure. That's awesome, man. Um, well, congrats on the the success. So that's a that's a Thank perfect. You, man. It's a good transition opportunity for me to to move towards something that is less successful, which is the team um, that we have in common, uh, and which dons the name of this podcast. So you actually broke some news to me uh, when we yeah. first started talking because I haven't been on social media all day. So so please tell me what is going on. You said well, we're. We're getting hot reports here. Bill Simmons puts out a podcast, you know, 
two, three times a week. He dropped the Monday podcast with Ryan Rossillo, his fellow uh, Massachusetts, New England mate, who's on the Ringer Network. And uh, it was called Biggest All-Star Rumors. And he said that, uh, well, allegedly, James Dolan is officially courting offers to sell the Knicks. He said that uh, he's tired of taking shit for owning the Knicks he doesn't care about and instead wants to take the money from the sale and apply the funds to refurbishing music venues like he did with the Forum in Inglewood. Um, Which would be pretty cool, by the way. Very cool. I actually haven't been in the Forum, which is so whack, but I've heard the Forum is amazing. Uh, Supposedly, Simmons goes on to say that Dolan wants $5 billion without giving up the building. Five billion without giving. So I'm. I should know more about the finances of how MSG the building are tied in with the finances of the Knicks. So he split them up. So the Knicks, Rangers, and MSG the experience the building now are three different entities. He did that earlier, I think, in the year, and that's when people are like, "Whoa, what's he doing now?" Yes. Okay. Yes, I remember that. I, if you're <laughs> yeah. If you have more money than you know what to do with, which, I mean, I feel like we're always hearing about the top 1% is growing and the rest, well, <laughs> I feel like, are, are you in with the rest of us or are you in the top 1%? I feel like you're, you're, you're closer I'm to me. I'm definitely not in the top 1%. I'm not, I'm not talking about no $5 billion. Dude. <laughs> All right? So let's I, just forget about that, yeah, okay? Let's, yeah. So we could pool our money together. I mean, I'm we'll all right, be... but that's, that's just a whole other thing. Right? I'm just not, I'm just. That's not me, babe. Someday we'll get there. This podcast is going to keep taking off. You're going to keep putting putting records out. Um, That's it. A few more platinum albums. So, so let's let's think about this for a second. If you have stupid yep. money, right? Because that that top one yep. percent is always growing. Like, what is a better vanity project for you than to just just go up to James Dolan and be like, "Here's here's a blank check. Write the number." Mm. And like you get, forget about being the guy like Kevin Durant that saves the Knicks on the court. Be the fucking guy behind the scenes that buys the Knicks. Like, is there any it's, better thing? No, I think, I think if it, if it's a real thing and they're they're actually if he's actually taking offers right now, I don't think he will have a problem finding them for sure. I mean, when you talk about guys who have made billions of dollars, you're talking about guys who do not lack in the ego department to begin with. It takes a certain sort of You've met these you know, people, hubris. seriously. I mean, you see some of these, these owners too now, and they're just, it is a vanity project, and it means a lot to them, and they get really into it. I mean, you see Bomber on the side of those Clippers games. I mean, he's definitely changed the culture of that organization a bit. I mean, it's still the Clippers, because it's a Lakers town, but the Knicks, New York is always going to be a Knicks town. I don't care what you tell me about the Nets. Dude, so, I'm, I somebody, was just telling you, my, I teach a couple blocks away from the Barclays Center. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares about the yeah. Nets. It's getting better because they're better, and I like what they're doing. I'm not trying to shit on the Nets, but it's this is a Knicks town, and if the Knicks can get hot ever, ever, for real, whoever helps do it is going down the same way Messier is a is a demigod, the same way Jeter can walk these streets, the same way Eli. They won't let Eli go on the Giants because he's got two rings. He's at thirty nine, hasn't won, been in the playoffs for five seasons. You know, it's just you, you get legendary status, untouchable god status in this town. 
if well, you can just win it. Well, let's in, talk in, about no. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen the clips on on YouTube from mm-hmm. last night, Kyrie and KD pounding around in the hallway in the tunnel leading out to the court. <laughs> Kyrie giving giving his boy a dap when he gets the gets the MVP trophy. Like we're like, I don't know. What are we supposed like? Is this, I don't know. We can't. What know. are we supposed to really feel? I mean, you know, as Knicks fans, we're programmed for heartbreak, and this is like the perfect opportunity to get our hearts broken again, to live uh, with this incredibly crazy notion that two of the best players in the league are just going to come over to the Knicks because we're the Knicks. This has happened before. I remember it distinctively. We thought D-Wade and LeBron were going to come here, and we ended up with Amari Stoudemire. Doesn't this feel a little bit different, though? It feels a little different. It feels different. It does. It does. You know why I think it feels... To me, it feels different because... They got some guys here now that I think within the league ranks are really respected, and that's Fisdale and even Perry to a certain extent. <laughs> Perry, quietly, yeah, no, man, he's, they like him. Yeah. One, I was talking to my friend about it the other day. One thing I've noticed after every Knicks game, dudes from the other team come rolling up to Fizz and showing mad love. You say what you want about his rotations and his X and O's acumen. Dudes like Fisdale. And that's a start at something to have him in the meeting. Because the one thing we heard when LeBron went to the meeting, he was just embarrassed by the Knicks. Like, it was just a joke. You know, you had, or whatever. No, you had Donnie Walsh in a wheelchair and a neck brace. You had James Dolan, (laughs) God knows what he was doing or saying. Like, they had Dan Tony there, but, you know, that's it. It was not good. No. It's different. It's different now. You know, you got Fizz and... Perry, and you know, you just—it feels a little bit cooler, at least. So, so maybe that's a start. You're—you are um, a certified cool person. Um, you hang out with cool people, the coolest of the cool. I think yeah, Fisdale. Totally. I think Fisdale is super cool. Is that cool? He's right. He's chill. Like that matters, super, doesn't it? Super chill. Definitely matters. Dude, it, it seems across the board that players like him, which is a good start. Yeah, I don't know if he's a good coach. I'm not. I'm not. I don't know if he's a good coach. I can't really tell yet. But well, I was going to ask you that because I've telling me throughout the season, especially earlier when I was like, I just was watching games, going, why isn't why isn't he Frank playing? Why do I have to keep watching Moutier? Why is this <laughs> happening? But but you know, Fizz has his ways, and it, it's it's it, you know, players dig him. My philosophy with Fizz all year has been he is like they basically gave him this season as a lump of clay and they're like do with it what you will and he's just been kind of given free reign to tinker and experiment and throw shit against the wall. So that's why like look there's a lot of there are things maybe you could criticize but I'm I don't pretend to know enough about what goes on behind the scenes and, and what the machinations are in his mind to be able to do that. That's right. why I've kind of given him more of a pass than most. Um, but at the same time, he needs a pass. Yeah. He needs a pass. This is a part of that process that you're supposed to trust. That unfortunately comes with the territory and the reputation of you can't build and rebuild in New York. Cause nobody wants to give the pass. Nobody wants to just understand that it's just, 
nothing's happening good. You know, nothing really that good is happening this year. So you just got to kind of roll with it. You can go game by game and, and look for the player development things that they're talking about. Like, okay, now I'm watching because Mitchell Robinson's playing really well, and I want to see what Dennis Smith can do with an extended time with the ball in his hand. And it's like you're looking for, you're just trying to win the little battles right now. You're not going to win many games, but some people really can't handle that, and that's a whole other thing. But well, we're we're know. New Yorkers. We don't, you know, we like to. I I feel like the, there are many traits that traits that define New Yorkers, but we kind of. I feel like we like to have our shit together and we like to know like what exactly the the plan is, what the process is and like totally. some, Yeah, and that that doesn't always happen. So you brought up the young guys. I was going to ask you out of everybody yep. on this team, you know, and and we'll see what happens with the whole Anthony Davis um situation in in the summer, it'll depend on where we where we land in the draft. Um, so I'm going to ask you two questions in relation to that. Out of all the young guys on this team, who's the one that you most would be upset about if they traded away in a package, whether it be for Davis or for you know some other from other star? Who's the guy that you want to root for as a Nick for the rest of their career? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I'm necessarily married to any of them at this point. Um, I have been on Frank Island forever. It's and nice here. On Frank no, man, it's well, nice right? here. Don't don't knock it until you try it. We're we're getting. There's not many of us left. Yeah. In France, there's a lot of them. <laughs> oh, that is true. They love they love Frankie in France. No, but I hear you. I it's love, been tough. I mean, if you would have asked me that question maybe like two three weeks ago, I probably would have said Frank because I'm that ridiculous that I believe that like Frank is just like a big ball potential waiting to grow and just be something. But it's just, he kind of made me frustrated with his last go round because Moutier gets hurt and he gets a chance to start and he ends up in foul trouble and then he ends up playing a really great half versus the Nets and gets hurt and doesn't come back and I haven't seen him since. And it's like, damn, here's a kid who can't capitalize on an opportunity. Like if I pulled my groin, I'd, probably still go back out there and be like, I'm trying to take the next starting point guard job, but I guess he's really hurt. Um, but I don't know now. Uh, you know, I think what we have is a lot of assets, kind of. They're all like kind of. Well, well said. Like, kind of. <laughs> you can you can kind of fool yourself into believing that like you could ship Dennis Smith and Zion for AD, like if you landed the first round pick. So that was my next like, question. Where are you on the on – the, Let's say fourteen percent. It happens. Zion is ours. Where, do you absolutely no trade for AD? Do you absolutely yes trade for AD? Where are you on that? So maybe you can tell me the logistics of that because how could how could you make all three fit? Like so, if you try to go after KD and Kyrie. So here's how it would AD. work. Basically, okay. you would need to. Um, Regardless of when you agreed to the trade, you could ad- agree to the trade on draft night. You could ad- agree to the trade sometime between draft night and the start of free agency. You'd have to sign yeah. if it's KD and Kyrie because one is a 10-year max guy, one is a 7- to 9-year max guy. You'd have to sign both of them first. And actually, at the moment, they're like uh, six or $700,000 short if they renounce certain guys. So there would need to be maybe another little move in there. Um, so, yeah. But you have to sign them both first, and then you trade for Davis using essentially all of the rest of the 
the salaries on the on the roster more or less, which Got is basically it. like all the young guys. Because then the way the salary rules, you don't you could take back more salary than you send out if it's within a certain range. Right. So yeah, that's that's why it has to go. Got it. Interesting. Uh, I mean, personally, I think if you have the opportunity to do that, you do it. Um, I don't think you get many opportunities where you can put together three of the best players in the league on the same team. And if that, there's probably like a 1% chance. Maybe let's say there's a 13.5% chance or whatever the first pick, um, that that actually could even be a thing. If the Knicks can land the first pick, which these lottery, this new lottery rules, on the year the Knicks finally go full tank. I know. I mean, it's Dude, just, I know. It's pure Knicks. It's pure Knicks. That is kind of pure Knicks. It's, I'm not going to lie. You know, just living in these eight nines, eight nines pick land for the last few years. And then it's like, you know what? Finally, we're just going to shit the bed. And it's like, yeah, but you know what? We, you're not guaranteed anything. So it's like, ugh, it's just so. And it, it would be and, such a bummer to not get Zion because Zion is, to me, a franchise player, and I don't know if there's another one in this draft. I don't. I I, I don't have enough time to watch the amount of college ball that I would need to to be able to formulate like a set like solid opinion on that. But I go yep. by those that I trust and, and do this stuff <laughs> essentially for a living, and and those people all seem to still agree at Zion, and then there's a big ocean of, of um, you know, space, and then there's whoever yeah. is your number two guy. So, yeah. No, sure. I'm, I'm with you there. It's it's a little bit of bad luck that this happened this year, but, you know, um, what can you do? But either way, I think they're, you know, they're in a good spot. I do. You, let me ask you they're this. They're in a good spot. Is this, yeah. is this the best you felt about the Knicks? And we're, we're going to touch before we go on – on the Knicks of the '90s, because I do want to get your thoughts on on that. Um, oh, let's do it. Is this the best you felt about the Knicks since that time? I mean, I know we were talking a little bit about, about insanity before we came on. Like, yeah, but that was different, though. That was like a you know, that was like a comet that was gone as soon as it was it was here. In terms of just like totally. your feelings about the franchise, is this the best you felt, or or was there another time? <clears throat> yeah, I think it's one of for sure. I think I remember when Donnie Walsh. I'd really gotten every all the orders came in and got all the orders straight. It felt pretty good around here. I mean, you know, there was a moment where the Knicks had, you know, many years ago had a had a glutton of a young prospect they dealt for Melo, which is funny because all those guys pretty much ended up having kind of long NBA careers: Gallinari and Chandler and. Yeah, Chandler's a solid pro. Even, Gallo, you know. Yes, I mean they've but... played a long time in the league. I mean Gallinari's having a nice season. Chandler's been in the league a long time. So you know, I mean, but the thing is, you went, you, they got mellow. A lot of times we like to think, you know, we we like to imagine the potential of the young guys rather than the actuality of it all. That's a great point. So, and I am so guilty of it because. You know, there's just something I've always, you know, favored like the youth over it. And it's like to a certain extent, that's great. And so in terms of assets, it seems like we have a ton. But I mean, we don't really know what it is, but it feels pretty good to have that cap space. But it's also like we're kind of like balancing on a very dangerous wire. And I would really <laughs> prefer 
to not end up in a situation where it's necessary to spend the money. So then you end up signing people that are meddling. Like, for example, it's like, all right, let's sign. Uh, oh, we end up signing Tobias Harris and Kemba Walker or, or you know, and you're just like, well, that's going to win you 41 games. You I, know what I mean? And I would feel... <sighs> Eight hundred percent better about this summer if I could just get it in writing from Scott Perry and Steve Mills that should um, KD and Kyrie and you know I guess Kawhi uh, not take the money that we will spend it wisely taking you know other teams bad salary or or inking one year deals just not signing the likes of the guys right. that you just mentioned. If I could get that in writing, just I would... in the process gone. Yeah. yeah. Keep it going. Totally. Please, guys. But you just don't know with these guys. No. You don't because know. even, you know, with Perry and Mills, like, I think I understand their plan, but it's like, you know, look, the Porzingis trade, I think they did a fine job. But at the time, it was like, well, where the hell did that come from? That wasn't a part of the plan at all. That didn't feel... You know, I think these guys are flying by the seat of their pants, but I think there's a legitimate buzz around the league and general vibe. I don't know about Kyrie, but for KD, it seems like there's a real momentum. Yeah. And you can't deny it, and you got to give yourself a chance to do it. I mean, you know, he's putting offices in New York. Rich Kleiman's a lifelong Knicks fan. There's been... Rumors that the Knicks are right over to do the job. I'm not here to – I don't know any of these things. I'm just saying what I've heard. You know, just crazy things. I mean, the conspiracy theories are going crazy. So if you can get, knock on wood, Zion and a possible KD, even if you don't get all three of those stars, that would be a hell of a start. I mean, because really, that would be a game changer. So you got to feel pretty good about the possibilities, but you just really hope they don't drop the ball. Yes, and um, that would be bucking, uh, I guess, going on 18 years of, of tradition what, now. <laughs> what do you think of Knox, by the way? Um, I think Knox is going to starting maybe his third year in the league and probably going for a solid six, seven, eight years in a row. I think he's going to average 20 a game in this league or, mm-hmm. or damn close to it. I have no idea if he's going to be a special player. I think he's going to be a special yeah. scorer. I think he's going to be able to put the ball in the basket, but like, you know, um, you don't get any, uh, Tim Thomas vibes. from him? Well, I don't get, no, not Tim Thomas guys vibes. So my boy, uh, Jeff green. <laughs> don't say that name, please, please, <laughs> please don't say that name in the same sentence as Kevin Knox. No, the guy that, that I thought was an interesting low end comp and, um, mm. Tom Piccolo of, uh, uh, basketball index came on he's been on a couple times he wrote an interesting article on Knox a few weeks ago and basically said like his low end outcome is probably like prime Al Harrington and like Al yeah, Harrington was I a guy that. yeah he 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 scored 20 a game i want to say once maybe two three times like but that's Al Harrington was a bucket no he, he was, was a bucket a born did, but did he help you win games from the from the beginning he was a born scorer i don't know if Knox has that natural Al Harrington, but I I see the comparison. Knox definitely has some ability. I went to the Vegas summer. Did you go to Vegas? I wasn't able to get to Vegas. I'm gonna. Uh, I, you got to go this year. I'm gonna. I'm trying hey, to put the pieces in place to go this year. Um, you know the one thing 
that I noticed right away with Knox, because I was so unfamiliar with him, was just his size. Oh, he really great. is a big dude. Yeah. With you nothing, know, like, nothing on the base yet. Once he gets some 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 bulk in those legs, and he could like stand up to some of the bigger guys, I think that's going to open up a lot of uh, a lot for him on both ends of the court, actually. Right, I think so. You know, I just I really want to see him continue to use that size in a way because he's not he's very to me he's very slow, but that's all right. But he like he's he deceptively on a cut. That was size more than athleticism it felt yeah. like. You know what I mean? It's no, like, you're right. I feel like when he length. needs it, he could pull it out. Like that little burst. Yeah. He's shifty, though. Yeah. But I don't know if I'm sold on him either. But I think he's okay. I definitely think he's a scorer. But it's, and I think they did okay at that, that spot there. But Yeah, yeah I think, I I think they'll, scared. I think they're fine with, with him, I think the only guy that could really come back and give them nightmares is uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and I don't, I don't know if he is ever. Yeah, gonna... Shea's like Frank. If Frank had game, <laughs> listen, we could say I could laugh at it, and you could say it because we're on the island together. But you're damn fucking right. About Let me that. ask you a question. Here's sure. a question. I tweeted this last week. Go for it. If Frank had one game like Kadeem Allen had last week where he scored 25 points, oh, we, we'd be absolutely ready we'd all to call be... Frank the starting point guard in the future. We'd be like, we don't even need Kyrie. Frank, Frank scored 20 games. Forget about it. I, I would, I, my head would have would have exploded. Um, it would, no, the guy, the guy that I've been really, really excited about of late has been Mitchell Robinson. I just... Oh, I mean, he's the reason to watch right now. He is. He's absolutely the reason to watch. You said it. Uh, it's um, I just like whenever I see a guy do things that I feel like you know. I've been watching the game for as long as you for for two and a half, going on three decades, and I don't know that I've ever seen anybody. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys block shots, but the but the the perimeter defense in terms of blocking guys like i don't know that we've seen guys do it as under control as he's doing it right now you know no it's it's crazy i mean blocking jump shots the other night he had this stretch versus the hawks and i know it's the hawks the hawks have been chippy listen but, they, they mean, beat the lakers three four possessions just dunk block dunk block and you're just like okay yep this kid is so raw talent wise but putting it together pretty quickly and that's got to be really really encouraging because at the beginning of the season he looked like you know a deer on ice i mean oh yeah so much talent but it was like this dude's like two years away from playing meaningful minutes and now he's like he's the best player on the team he's he is the best player on the team i don't know how much this deandre has been helping but it seems like since deandre got here Mitchell's like it, it's like starting to click, and it's like it's a really nice player comp. Like DeAndre was, I mean DeAndre was a first team all defensive center. It was a thing that did yeah. happen. DeAndre has definitely forgotten about those days. He's pretty chill at this point. He but, he wants to get his rebounds uh, headed into uh, yeah, get another like contract year. Has to keep it chill. But shout to him for getting for adding twenty points to his. Uh, his free throw percentage. That's impressive. Yeah. But um yeah, man. We'll Mitchell's see. Guy. We're we we'll see. I listen, like I said, I'm I'm with you. I'm hopeful. I'm also realistic. Yeah. But I think 
I think the best thing you could say is that they have put themselves in as good a position as they they could have. And I say that even in light of the KP trade because, and again, I don't know how much more this particular front office could have done to mend that relationship. I don't know, is it, you know, is it 10% their fault? Is it 90% their fault? Is it all on Phil Jackson? I have no idea. But in terms of right. like, given what it was and given what's at stake this summer and given like, the fact that it would have been organizational negligence to not give themselves the best possible chance at signing Durant, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. And, um, of course, that'll lead us back to the last thing I want to talk to you about, which is, yep. so we're the same age, and that yep. means you were, like me, um, 10, no, 10 or 11 during the 94 Finals. I'm trying to think. If we were, we were both born in '83. Uh, I was 11. You were okay. Yeah. So I, I was 11. Yeah. Yep. So we were 11 then, and then um, do a little quick math. That means we were 16 for the '99 finals. '99. Yep. Which? Because I go back and forth with this. Which of those two teams is like more meaningful to your like ethos as a Nick fan in your heart? I of think '94 is like the to me like the legacy Knicks franchise and 99 was like probably more exciting because they were the eight seed short strike the strike year no ewing it was kind of like random it was houston latrell canby right yeah uh, little four point play iconic play but i mean when you think of 90s knicks you think ewing starks oakley right i mean so I, they both hold. They're all both pretty near and dear to my heart. Like, what do you got? I I don't know if my position on this is like completely fair because I was. So my mom knew somebody during the '99 playoffs. She knew the person for a while, but like during the '99 playoffs, um, she was able to like get me tickets to. I want to say um, four five. I think four games, two finals games, and I went to a, one wow. of the Hawks games, and um, one of the one of the uh, Heat games, and so like being in the building for so much of that run, I think it it holds probably a more special place for me than than and plus the other thing was this: a lot of people start, a lot of kids start watching sports when they're like five, six, seven years old. 93-94 was like literally the first season of any major sport that I watched. So it was like so right. new to me that I don't think I could like appreciate it as much as some people who had been watching the team like since they were like literally like a little little kid. So for me it's 99, but like I at the same time when you see when you hear the words 90s Knicks, it's like, you know, it's Ewing Oakley and Starks and Mace and you know, fucking Anthony Bonner, my boy off the bench for the 94 team. And, uh, sure. you know, Derek Harper, it's, that was, um, you know, I, I just hope I don't have to like tell my daughter about the 94 team is the greatest Nick team of all time. And, uh, right. You know, but it, it's, yeah. it's felt like well, that. Anytime you can go to a game, you know, be a part of the experience, you're going to hold on to it more near and dear. And 99 was a lot of fun. It, it was, was a different team because it, it, we had been kind of conditioned to bully ball. And then, you know, Spreewell was a flasher and athletic and Canby could like catch an alley-oop and yeah, Allen Houston was smooth. It was, it was a different 
kind of vibe. But I, I definitely lean more towards the, the rough-and-tumble Knicks. I started watching the Knicks when I was around six, seven years old. My dad used to make me call Johnny Newman, Grandpa. And we were, we were part, so far on the starting on like the 89, 90 season. We were in it. We were in it from the beginning. And, uh, you know, they were good for so long starting in the 90s. It just kind of became, you know, par for the course to get ready in April and May to, you know, be cheering against Michael Jordan and hoping you can somehow find a way to beat him. So, and then, you know, I always, you know, the mellow J.R. Smith, Mike Woodson team, you know, that one year too, man, it was like, I won't, I won't forget it as they become so, you know, rare to be good. The one good year that, that was a lot of fun too. And really, obviously it wasn't a finals run, but you know, they were kind of ahead of their time chucking threes. Oh yeah. Pop, our boy Pablo and, you know, just Steve Novak with the belt. I mean, man, we took advantage of that. You take it, take it for granted. You know, you're like, oh, 50 wins and, you know, who, what could have been? It felt like we could get them to play Miami. We could beat them. It didn't happen, but I still, it was a good time. I still remember watching uh, game one of the Pacers series in, um, oh, God, what's that shithole bar next to Stout uh, right down the block from the garden? I want to say Blarney Stone. Um, yep. Yeah, there you go. I was watching there with um, now my now wife. We were just dating at the time. That's the other reason that season is special to me because we, we – Started dating as that playoff run was like starting up, but um, yeah, watching that game one and like they were never really in that game, and they really that's when they lost that Pacers series. They lost it game one, um, losing it at yeah. home. Oh God! Yeah, Roy Hibbert just killed Tyson Chandler. Oh, he owned like, him. Oh, he owned him. That's which was crazy because I mean, he had Chandler was so good that year, and as a Knicks fan, I was like. No one was rocking with you know Tyson Chandler, the best defensive center in the league. Like, who cares about Roy Hibbert? I was like, and Roy, I don't think Roy Hibbert was ever good again in the league. He can't get a like, job now. Guy, I, no, he was. I mean, he fell that off a cliff. Quick. Was the pinnacle. Yeah. yeah, that was like it. But that was a good time, and the last time there's been any joy. So we really just gotta hope now that we can get some get some things together. Because you know, as we get older, it's like. Come on now. It's been a long time. Can we get some it'd be nice to have a couple couple a playoff run, a championship run, any kind of that vibe for a few years, really? Come on now. A lot of pain. It's been a lot of pain. <laughs> uh I think that is the understatement of the century, uh, to describe yeah. I let's uh, here's here's my last question. Do you think that us as Knicks fans if you're talking about just this century, since essentially since yeah. the year 2000, do we have an argument for having the most pain of any? Let's limit it to the NBA. The most pain of any NBA fan base. Oof. I kind of think you know, we, we do, don't we? I would say we're close. You know, I have friends who are Bulls fans, and they're Oof. always trying to tell me that it's comparable, and I'm like, bro. You guys grew up rooting for Michael Jordan. I don't care how many Eddie Currys you guys had. Okay, we had them too, by the way. So, but that's because, <laughs> you know, their Gar Pax has really ruined them over there. 
so they feel a certain way. But they they hate are their not team, the by the way. Level Bulls fans hate their. Oh, team. I mean, those dudes have been there like twenty years now too. They're and they're just like they're untouchable. It's it's hilarious. Um, yeah, you know, in terms of passion, I think Knicks fans, if you mix passion and disappointment, I would say the Knicks are definitely up there, one of the most paying franchises. Because there are some other franchises that have been really bad as well, but I don't know if their fan base cares as much as the Knicks do. No, I, I don't. But the Knicks... Knicks fans, I've always felt like we're our own worst enemy because we just continue to have this lack of patience mixed with, like, optimism. Like, we can just talk ourselves into anything. It's like, yeah, Marbury's going to be great. I mean, he's one of the best point guards in the league. What? How can this go wrong? <laughs> oh, wait. Like, you, I know oh, how it can go wrong. You want to find out? <laughs> like, dude, Steve Francis and Stefan Marbury, I mean, it worked. Earl the Pearl and Walcott Frazier play together. I mean, it works. What are you talking about? It's going to uh. work. Yeah. Well, here we. No, we've been the we've been the if it can go wrong, it will go wrong uh, franchise. So here's our next one. What? Just trade everybody. We're gonna get KD and Kyrie. What are you talking about? This is fine. Yeah, and Zion. We're gonna end up with the fifth pick, and uh, Kemba Walker. It's gonna be. (laughs) Let's just back. This would be pure next. So let's just you know. And I love Kemba. Don't get me wrong, but you know what I'm saying. How about this? Gary. How about this? The day if they sign KD, the day we're going after, out after they do we're that. Yes, um, you're taking the charge. You're coming back. You're, you'll have to fly back in from LA again. Um, yeah, we're partying. Figure it's, it's out, it's, yeah. Figure out what clubs we're going to. Um, I'll join. Yeah. I'll, I'll we're following KD. We're going to, yeah, wherever he's going, we're going to the Hamptons with KD. <laughs> sure why not I'll, I'll i'll make the trick out there um listen rich yeah. man i i can't thank you enough for uh for joining me on this this is fun man um, thank you for having me anytime i mean oh, i talk nicks all the time i actually have a little podcast called baseline jam that we do every monday so maybe you come on the show sometime oh dude I'd, I'd be honored um i was about to say anything you want to uh anything we should be looking forward to from you uh moving oh forward? yeah i mean Yes, this new album came out in October. It's called Future Vintage Soul. And, uh, you know, let's just hope that we can just see some Dennis Smith, Frank backcourts by the end of the season that make us excited for what could possibly be in the future. I I think that's something we should absolutely all hope to see. Um, Hopefully he gets back from his groin injury before uh, training camp. Come on, Frank, let's go. (laughs) He looks so fresh in all those clothes. I mean... He's like the flyest. Oh, he dresses out. so nice. It's like he's disgusting. French. I mean, he just got style. The kid's got swag. You can't teach that. Out about it. You can't teach you that. Can't teach swag. No. He's so smooth. He's so smooth. Uh, all right. <laughs> um, thank you again. This was a lot of fun. Um, definitely will not be the last time. Uh, and of course, everybody out there, thank you for tuning into another episode. Um, we got another one later in this week, which we're um, excited about as well. But. Um, yeah, we will be back with you soon, um, and you... Keep up the good work, by the way, man, from all <laughs> Knicks fans. You Thank guys you. are dedicated. Thank you. And uh, really the best follow on Knicks Twitter. Uh, it's too kind. It's, it's yeah. way too Thank kind. Thank you so much. No, of course. Yeah. All right, everybody, have a great rest of the week. Be well.